This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. Uh, go ahead and open your Bible and turn to Mark, Mark chapter 1, 16. And we're going to read there together today. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Makes sense. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you are speaking to us today. Even, even though it may not even be through words, God, you are speaking through your Holy Spirit to our lives. And we just want to open ourselves up to hear what you have for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I enjoy fishing. Uh, when I say that, um, I say that with uh, followed by, I don't fish very much, maybe once in the last two or three years. But I enjoy fishing. And because I don't fish much uh, due to time and availability, uh, I haven't invested a lot in my fishing equipment. Sad. Uh, real sad equipment. It's, it's passed down from uh, my dad, who uh, is an avid fisherman. He, he really enjoys uh, sinking a lot of time and money into uh, his fishing gear, and, and he studies it, he watches shows, and, and it's a huge hobby for him. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I have poles that are passed down from him, or he may be looking for poles that I've taken. But regardless, I have his old gear, and I have a huge tackle box. Like, you would laugh at how large my tackle box is, considering uh, the fact that I don't fish much, and when you open it up, you know, it's one of those deals, you open and the trays kind of slide out, and, and, and it's huge, and there's like five or six different tackles inside this massive uh, massive box, again, passed down, or worn, broken even, um, I've, I've invested nothing into uh, fishing. So, if Jesus, or any one of you, were to find me at a lake at any given point, and say, hey, come follow me, we're going to grab some lunch, or we're going to go to some air conditioning, or whatever, I would, I would have no problem leaving my hand-me-down, pass-down, broken gear behind and follow any one of you, any given one of you. It could be a kid, it doesn't matter. I would not have a problem leaving behind everything and following anyone. Uh, but now, my dad, and, and maybe some of you, might think twice. Now, if you were going to ask me to leave my car, or uh, my extensive dress shirt collection, or my wife, um, not to put all those things in the same category, because there's obviously levels of importance there, but I would, I would have a little bit of a problem uh, leaving behind some of the things that I'm more passionate about, that I've invested money in or I've invested time. And as we look at the lives of these men that Jesus calls, uh, as we look at uh, Simon and Andrew and, and the Zebedee brothers, as we'll call them today, because um, I like to say Zebedee, we find that, uh, don't you like to say Zebedee? Say it, go ahead. You want to. Everybody's like, I want to. I'm not sure. Did everybody say it across the room? We've got to get that out of the way. Um, we find very quickly that fishing uh, was not a hobby. These, Jesus didn't find these men on a Saturday afternoon with a pole in the water and uh, talking local politics or football and uh, just shooting the bull on a casual afternoon with the sun. Jesus found these men doing what they did. This was their job. This is what they invested everything in. This is their bread and butter and their career was hanging in the balance of whether or not they caught fish that day or not. And uh, according to historians, biblical historians, we realize that there were over 330 fishing boats in operation in this area. 
And so fishing was a big, big business. Uh, the majority of uh, ordinary people did not eat meat as much. Uh, and so fish became a staple diet for them. I don't know if you like fish or not. I, I really love it, especially when it's fresh. And so um, that you could imagine, as it is now, that towns begin to just boom around where the money is. And so this city had, had just completely grown. There were shops that were uh, preparing the fish to be shipped as far as Rome. Um, and this was just big, this was a big deal. This wasn't like um, they were working at the, uh, at the Kmart or, or a, a convenience store and, and it was a small situation. This was a big job for them. And uh, we realized when Jesus finds them, if you look at Mark 1.18, he says this, or they say this, at once they left their nets and followed him. I want you to think in your mind right now, what's the most important thing to you in your life? What's the most important thing to you in your life? There's a good chance it's not a fishing net, though. I could be wrong. What's the most important thing to you in your life? I don't know for sure, but I would venture to say that their jobs were pretty high on the list of things that are important to these men that Jesus called, and yet they left their nets behind and followed him. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, I want you to write this down. The call to follow Christ requires us to leave some things behind. The call to follow Christ requires us to leave some things behind. Their nets represented not just their job, it represented their livelihood. It represented their way of life. I don't know if you've been around some people who uh, fish a lot, but they have their own lingo, right? It's like hanging out in a Starbucks line. Everybody starts, starts to speak a different language that if you're not in that culture, you don't understand. And so they weren't just leaving behind a job. They were leaving behind their culture, a way of, I would imagine, a way of dress, a way of speech, uh, a way of action. This was, a, this was much more than just a career. This was their livelihood, their security, their culture. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. What is your net today? What is your net today? What is keeping you from following Christ wholeheartedly? What keeps you from obeying the call that God has put in your life wholeheartedly? If we were to be gut honest, every single one of us in this room have nets. I'll be the first to admit, this guy has some nets. Some things that I hold on to for security, some things that I hold on to um, that make me feel comfortable or that I'm okay with. I have nets in my life. And there's a good chance that the majority of the people in this room do too. What is your net today? What is your net today? Nets represent those things that, that tie us down, that weigh us down. Now, I've never been caught in a net. Maybe you have, and there's some things that I don't need to know about everybody here. You've probably run into a jungle and net fell. I, I don't know. I've never been caught in a net myself. But here's what television and movies have taught me, is that when caught in a net, the more that you struggle and fight, the more you find yourself entangled. Have television taught you that as well? That the more you struggle, the more you fight, that you get more entangled in the net. And nets aren't easy to get out of. If they were, then they would design something else to catch fish because fish can be small. And so we realize that sometimes the nets that we find ourselves trapped in, those things that, that we hold on to, are a little bit messy. They're a little bit tough to get out of. I'm going to go through a few things, a few possibilities, just to get your mind thinking. But your net may not be anything listed in, in my uh, short bit of notes. You may have something that's, that's way out there I haven't thought of, but this will get you thinking. Maybe your net today is fear. 
Maybe your nest this morning is fear. Maybe you are afraid of the sacrifice or afraid of the call that, that God might have uh, placed upon your life. And now, I realize this seems like something kind of general, but growing up, middle school, I, uh, I was always afraid of God's call, that what God might call me to do. Because uh, growing up in the time and in the, in the kind of bubble that I was in, the call felt less like something exciting and more like the draft, right? Where God calls someone and he's like, okay, well, you've been called to uh, a remote part of Africa and good luck with that. And everybody was kind of like, ah, I think I'm called here, so good luck, and, and moved on. And the call felt less like something God-given and more like a draft. And so I was always afraid for whatever reason that God was going to call me to Africa. I guess in my middle school mind, this seemed like the most remote part of the world. And, and in my defense, this was you know a little bit before globalism, before the Internet really brought us all closer. And, and so for, for various reasons, Africa was just that thing in my mind that I was just frightened to death that God was going to call me to do. And it seems silly at the, at now, but at the time it was a real fear. And so I believe that there are quite a few of us in this room that are afraid of some things that God might call us to do. Now, we won't, we won't admit that fear. We won't own up to it, but we're afraid to give everything over to God for fear of what he may call us to do. And it may not be that God would call us overseas, but it may be that God calls us to do something that we're just not quite comfortable with. Maybe we're afraid that he'll call us to do something that is more time-consuming or um, causes us to invest more than we're willing to invest. I don't know what your mindset is, but when God calls us to do anything, whatever it is that God's called us to do, I can promise you, that he's equipped us to do it. That when God calls us to do something divine, spectacular, or ordinary, if God's called us to do it, he's going to prepare us to accomplish it. And when you look at 2 Timothy 1.7, you realize really quickly that fear doesn't come from God. It says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? Power, love, and sound mind. Those are things of the Lord. And God is not up there saying, okay, what am I going to call you to do that you're not comfortable with because I'm going to torture you, you just deserve that or whatever. A call from God is something exciting and extraordinary. And when God calls us to do it, He's going to equip us to do it. Someone is getting a call from God now. Do you hear that? Did everybody hear that? He's going to equip you to answer that call, Cody Jameson. He will equip you if you don't fear. Here's the thing. If we look at the life of Jonah, we realize really quickly we should be more afraid of what would happen to us if we don't obey God's call than what could happen if we do. Because uh, if you know the story of Jonah, you know that guy, he ended up in the belly of a whale on his way to whatever God called him to do, regardless of what he thought. And I've had some wild travel plans. I've never traveled in a whale. So I would imagine we have more to be afraid of not obeying God's call in our life than obeying it. Maybe today... Maybe today your net is control. Maybe today your net is control. You're just one of those people that love to have control over your life and the things that happen in your life. And in, in a lot of ways, there's nothing wrong with that. In, in, in many ways, and, and my wife, if she had a mic, would probably give you some detailed examples. In many ways, I find myself falling into this category. That control is something that, that I really like just because I like the predictability of the things that I've set up in my life. And I like to be able to have say over what goes on day to day, and I like that routine. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe your uh, net is just simple control 
over your destiny, over your future. Um, and you like to have say, in Luke 13, or 17.33, it says this, and this goes against absolutely everything we've ever been taught. This goes against everything that we've ever come to believe. This goes against everything that we know to be true and right with our world. It says this, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. That doesn't make sense. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. It doesn't make sense. And if you're the type of person that loves control and you find yourself uh, juggling all of these things and you're trying to keep everything afloat, and, and I think spinning plates is a better analogy. I like the, the I thought of us holding plates and on sticks and spinning them. And at some point you just find yourself tired and weary of controlling and managing everything. And to be honest, we take on way more than we're able to hold. We take on way more pressure. And, and in some ways, we could probably find some medical, um, some medical dictionary to prove that the stress in our lives is because we're just trying to control everything. And to be honest, we find some huge relief in just relinquishing control to God. Now, I don't mean drop your job and, and sit on the couch and live off popcorn and 7-Up and just watch whatever television show comes on. I'm not, I'm not talking about laziness and just abandoning all thought processes whatsoever and just kind of work through your life like a zombie. I'm, I'm talking about legitimate uh, relinquishing control legitimately and right. Maybe your net today is your circumstances. Maybe your net today is your circumstances. Take a note, write this down. Your circumstances do not determine your opportunity. I'm going to say it again. Your circumstances do not determine your opportunity in life. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter how much money you have or had. It doesn't matter how good looking or semi-bad looking you are. It doesn't matter uh, what your social or economic status is in your life now or in the future, God can and He will use you. God can and He will use you regardless. And it's easy for us to say, oh man, my circumstances, I'm just in a bad, bad position right now. I'm, I'm overworked or I'm, uh, I'm overstressed or I don't have any money. I can't do anything for God because I'm just trying to take care of myself and my circumstances. And those people who are doing great things for God that are investing in the in the community or investing in the church, they've obviously got different circumstances than me. They obviously don't have the three-year-old who requires a lot of attention like I do. You're different than me because of your circumstances. And sometimes that even goes to the point where we get bitter or we get angry or we get upset because we're not able to do things based on the circumstances that we've set up in our life. But throughout the Bible, we find men and women who come from lowly places, who come from bad circumstances, from bad situations, only to be raised up to do great and mighty things for God. God does not care where you come from. He doesn't care what situation you're in. He will still use you to do great things. And all we have to do is just be obedient. All we have to do is just be obedient. Maybe your net this morning is your insecurities. Maybe your net is your insecurities. This has been something that we've been working through in, in, our, in our youth ministry for uh, the last several weeks. Even, even, I guess, camp really kind of kicked this off. And, 
that we've sort of been working through because, as everybody knows, teenagers, they're insecure and they have problems with their self-image and, and they've got a lot of issues concerning their insecurities, but uh, go to adults. Go to adults. We still, I just put myself in a category with adults, sorry. You guys still deal with the same insecurities that teenagers do and that kids do. We're all still working that through this life together. We're all trying to figure out who we are and what we're doing and where our place is and, and what our, our, our life is going to be like. And we all have these fears and insecurities. Maybe you don't feel worthy or capable or adequate to do what God's called you to do. But if anything, this, this story in Mark shows us that God can use everyday people Look at this with me, if you will. Jesus could have chosen, he could have gone to seminaries, he could have gone to uh, places of political power, he could have gone to the synagogue, he could have gone to uh, school. Jesus had the opportunity to start his ministry with the best of the best. He could have started with the elite. And if you and I were to start a business or anything today, I guarantee you, the last place we would start looking for people, unless we were starting a fishing business, is with fishermen. We would go after the best and the brightest that we could find. But Jesus went a completely different direction and found him some fishermen. Now, not just any fishermen, because there were over 300 boats in operation at the time. If, and I don't know this to be historically accurate at all, but I would just think in my mind three people per boat would be a comfortable situation. If three people were in a boat with over 300 people, Simple math tells us uh, over 900 possibilities are available for us, for Jesus, right there on the shores of Galilee. But he chose these men for a reason, and for a time, and for a purpose. And God is choosing you right now. He's choosing you right now. And inside all of us, there's this hidden voice that speaks that says we're insignificant, that we're not going to be able to do what God's called us to do because we weren't trained in a theological seminary or we don't know the Bible that much and we really beat ourselves up because we don't read the Bible as much as we should. And God's never going to use a simple person like me because I'm insignificant and there's nothing extraordinary, creative, or unique about me. But listen to this. God's call on our lives is not based on our ability. Thank God. His call upon our lives is not based on my ability. If so, I'm not sure what I'd be doing. God's call is not based on my ability or yours, but it's based on our willingness. Our willingness, that's it. We just have to be willing to obey God's call. That's it. Now, obedience is costly. It's easy to say, okay, well, I just have to be a willing and obedient and as my three-year-old teaches me every, every single day, multiple times, obedience is difficult. It's costly. It's much more difficult than we think when we start to get into it. I promise you I would much rather be up here talking to you about the favor of God and all the blessings that He wants to bestow upon us. And if we were all to be honest, we would all rather hear how much God wants to bless us and all the cool things and gadgets God wants to give us for being obedient. But the bottom line is, obedience is costly. Obedience is costly. And Simon, Andrew, James, and John left everything they had, their business, their family, everything familiar, comfortable, and safe. But listen to this. Following God 
It's not about being safe or comfortable. We've been lied to. Following God is not about being safe and comfortable. Now, God keeps us safe, and God takes care of our needs, and He keeps us comfortable, but that's not why we follow God. That's not why we follow Him. Matthew 6.31 says this, and I think it's on the board. I, I can't remember. Uh, and, and we've heard this a lot, but, but we're going to find a little bit of a new meaning. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or what cell phone plan we're going to go with, or what new hybrid we're going to find, or what fancy new home we're going to go buy next, or what beautiful uh, woman or husband we're going to marry. But the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom. And His righteousness, and guess what? All these things will be added to you. But here's the problem today. is that we want to seek after all the extras. We want to seek after the bonuses and the benefits of following God. And the thing is, God says, just put me first. And I'll take care of your needs. We've got it backwards. Put me first and I'll take care of your needs. If you get nothing else out of today... If you've blanked out until now, wake your neighbor up. This is what I want you to hear. Out of everything else today, I want you to hear this right here. You were not called to live a great life. You were not called to live a great life. You were called to live a life of greatness. God has called you to live a life of greatness. And He wants that for you. And it's easy for us to fall into a normal mundane routine. I don't know what it's like to be a fisherman by trade, but I would imagine in my mind that they probably worked from sun up to sundown. And they came home late at night and they smelled like fish. Can you imagine? And uh, they would come in, shower up, and, uh, and go to bed and get up and do the exact same thing the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. It's easy for you and I to slide into a mundane routine. But God wants to shake us out of that and He wants to propel us not to a great life, but to a life of greatness. Jesus never promised Simon and Andrew, James and John that they were going to be rich, live well, have beautiful wives, and drive fast cars. He promised them one thing, a life of service. Woo! A life of service. That's it. Come follow me. And in, in, in my mind, I would venture to say that if Jesus had started with, hey guys, you're eventually going to give your lives for me and we're going to walk everywhere and we don't have shoes, we're going to wear sandals, it's going to be gross and we're going to do some cool things, but it's going to end pretty badly for all of us, come follow me. I'm guessing these guys would sign up just again. Because here's the thing, and this applies to us too, each and every one of us wants something that we can invest our lives in. We all want to live a life that's meaningful and that's important. And the only way that we can do that is to put down our nets and to follow Jesus. That's it. We can build ourselves up to be the CEO of some major corporation. Uh, we can find ourselves uh, doing whatever worldly task we could imagine. And we're going to end up coming up, we'll end up coming up completely empty. Because the only way that we can find ourselves living a life that matters is serving Jesus Christ. Serving Jesus Christ. A man by the name of Wes Jackson, he was, uh, he was named one of the most uh, innovators of all time. He said this, uh, who he is doesn't matter as much as what he said. He said this, if your life's work can be accomplished in your lifetime, you're not thinking big enough. 
You're not thinking big enough. I want to add to that. You can quote David Huff. Here we go. If your life's work can be accomplished by yourself, you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. Obedience to the call requires complete surrender. Complete and total surrender of our lives. Surrender of control. Surrender of our reputation. Surrender of fear, insecurities. Surrender of everything that you hold near and dear. You have, I have to surrender completely to God and whatever He wants to call and whatever He wants to do in our lives. And that is the only way we'll find ourselves living a life of greatness. That is it. Complete and total surrender to God. God wants you to live a life of greatness. And He wants me to live a life of greatness. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what greatness for you is and what greatness for you is. And it's easy for all of us to say, well, I'm just a gas station attendant or I'm just a secretary or I'm just uh, uh, whatever, a car salesman. But God wants to propel you to greatness in whatever line of work it is. He doesn't care about your abilities. He doesn't care about your circumstances. He does, but He doesn't. He wants to use you regardless. Now, I want to I wrap up by just talking to you briefly about the call because um, most of us, if you've grown up in church, you've heard about the call, and I put it in quotes. I even put it in quotes in my notes because the call is kind of mysterious sometimes. And it's this huge thing that, that we kind of chase after and, and none of us are really sure maybe what exactly it is or how it's going to come about, and it's just the call. And sometimes we sit around and we wait for like an angelic visitation or a burning bush, God's audible voice to, to physically call you by name to service. And, and some of us say, you know what, I'm not going to do anything for God until I see some significant sign. I get this huge call. And here's the thing. If this story provides us truth and sheds light into any, anything other than this, it's that God is in the ordinary. There's nothing more plain about Jesus Christ walking on the beach and calling a couple of fishermen who are out in the water. There's nothing more ordinary about that. And though God is in these great, huge things, um, He's also in the day, every day, the here and the now, the right this second. And in your life, He's present. These men did not receive the call in a church service or a camp or some kind of a Bible study or prayer meeting. They were working, doing what they do. They were just working. And Jesus comes up and calls them. James and John, they weren't just working. They were preparing their nets for the future. They were fully planning on working the remainder of the day and the next day and the next day and the next day. They didn't stop. And a lot of times we find people waiting on the call, stop everything. But let me tell you, God is going to find you where you're at no matter where you're at. He's going to find you where you're at. And I want to add to that and say that God's called each and every one of us already. The Great Commission, if nothing else, has already commissioned each and every one of us to pick things up and go after those that are lost, baptizing them and discipling them. We are all called. Alan, uh, behind me, uh, Wednesday night was was leading worship, and, and he gave this really good insight, and I felt obligated to give you credit because you're behind me, but it's, it's biblical. He said uh, that, uh, and it just escaped me because of the, the joke, but uh, set up the joke. Would you remember the scripture? Second Timothy, what was the scripture? There we go. That's it. Thank you. Sparked my thought. What happens is we wait. The Bible tells us that we believe in Second Corinthians. We were just having a powwow, and Second Corinthians is what we've come up with. That it says you've got to be ready in season and out 
Meaning there's not a season particularly for you to work. You've got to be ready all the time. We're ready to go. Right now, you're on. Let's go. Minister, go now, now, now. In season and out. Let's go. God wants us to be ready. Ready and willing. And I believe we, we don't get to choose the context in which we start our lives. We don't get to choose the context in which we start our lives. But listen to me. We have a great deal to say about our destiny. You, up until now, may have made the, the biggest mistakes you could ever imagine. But today, right now, right here, you have a choice to drop down your net, or nets in my case, and follow Christ. That's your opportunity today. And if you want to live a life that counts, if you want all of hell to remember the day that you walk this earth, then you have to be willing to drop everything and follow God. You have to relinquish control, insecurities, fear, and follow Christ. I don't know what your net is today. There's a strong chance I didn't mention it. But are you willing to let it down today? Hey, David, I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. I don't know. What if I let down my net? What if I drop it and follow Christ? I don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know. Here's the thing. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow anyway, so you might as well drop your net and trust on a Savior who's proven Himself to you and He's proven Himself to me time and time and time and time and time again. Across this room, if you would, just stand with me. Across this room, just as quiet as you can. I want you just to stand This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.